It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 195 for June 6, 2010. Recorded June 4th. Let's try something hypothetical this week. Let's say you need a website and you need it really fast, but you can't afford to hire a designer and you can't afford to hire a developer. Now what? Well, if you can afford $50, Zara Web Designer 6 might be your answer. You won't need to buy any other tools because Zara has everything you need right in the application. Here's what Zara says on its website. Traditional web authoring tools are really just HTML editors. They are designed to create text layouts providing few graphical capabilities. And yet it's evident that the vast majority of modern websites are of a graphical nature. We believe you should have complete freedom to include anything, text, graphics, photos, anywhere on the page using just one tool. And you shouldn't need to know or even see the HTML that goes into creating your site any more than a car driver needs to know how an engine works. Well, there are certainly a lot of implied promises there, big ones. How well does Zara deliver on those implied promises? Let's take a look at how a website goes together when you use Zara. Now, I said you can't afford a designer or a developer, so Zara has to take care of all of that. Let's start by looking through the website design gallery. Pick one of the designs. There are lots of them, dozens. And because of things you can change, those dozens of designs become literally thousands or perhaps millions. So I selected one called Reflections, and I got a home page. It has placeholders for a logo, a page tag, a navigation bar menu, and some photographs. I could have created individual pages, but I told Zara to create the entire website, so it actually created eight pages for me. And it set up the navigation bar menu to handle all of the navigation between those various pages. Now, of course, I don't want logo type in the upper left-hand corner. I might want welcome in the upper right-hand corner, but I thought I'd change that too. So how do you do that? Well, it's as easy as selecting the text and typing over it. If you need to type more than what's there or less than what's there, the container the text is in will expand or contract. There's nothing you have to do to change it. Changing the text on the menu is a little more complicated, but it simply requires that you open a properties dialog. From there, you can change the names on the buttons, delete menu items, or add some if you need to. The entire site is open in a single, long Zara document. This was something that wasn't clear to me right at the beginning, but I realized as I scrolled down there was another page below my first page. So I realized that the entire website was in this single, long Zara document. That makes navigating from page to page as you're doing the development very easy. So then I wanted to replace some of the sample images with some of my own. How? Open Windows Explorer, browse to the directory with the photos that I want to use, and it doesn't matter where they are on the computer. All I have to be is on the computer somewhere. Drag the image over the one that you want to replace and drop it. If what you're dragging is a large image from a digital camera, one that hasn't yet been resized for the web, you'll see a warning that the image is large. Zara wants to know if you'd like to resize it for the web. In most cases, that is exactly what you'll want to do. So then my new image was in place. I did the same thing for the other three slide-based images and 
repeated the process for another image on the page. And then I tried dragging a raw image onto one of the slides, a Nikon NEF file, 10 megabytes. To my great surprise, Zara not only was able to handle this 10 megabyte file, but it understood the file format. I was able to resize the image, but I was never able to place the image in one of the slide mounts. I could place it on the page as a freestanding image, but not in one of the slide mounts. In most cases, you'd want to convert a RAW file to a PNG or a JPEG first, so I really don't consider this to be a flaw of any sort. As the next step, I dropped another photo onto the page, a freestanding photo. I dropped it on top of some text, and you'll notice that it actually covers some of the text. You, of course, wouldn't want that. It turns out to be a fairly easy fix. Right-click the image and choose Repel Text Under. Problem solved. You'll want to follow along on the TechBiter Worldwide website. At this point, you can see the page with the text flowing properly around that last photo I dropped on the page. So now I've got a website with eight pages, and I've changed all the images on the main page, and I've decided, oh, wait a minute, I really don't like the color selection that's with this theme. Well, it's a little late in the game to be changing colors, but this isn't unheard of. If you'd be working with a designer and a developer, you'd probably have your site's palette nailed down firmly well before you get this far in the design process. But this is not, as I said, something that's unheard of. It does happen. So how easy is it to change the colors at this point? Well, the site's palette is located in square markers to the left of the regular palette, which is at the bottom of the page, and it turns out I can edit any of the colors in the palette. So I selected purple, a dark purple for one of the main colors, and a very light purple as the background for the page. On the main page, that purple background is a wash that spreads halfway across the page. It's an interesting fade-out effect. On the other pages, the background is a solid color. Eh, but wait a minute, maybe purple is not exactly the right color for this site. Instead of selecting my own new color scheme, I could have returned to the gallery to select from one of the existing color-coordinated schemes that comes with this template. That's what I did, and I selected color scheme number 5. Check the TechBiter Worldwide website. I think you'll agree. That's better. Nicely color-coordinated. Next, I moved on to a gallery page in the website. It started with 18 photographs. Less than 10 minutes later, I had replaced all of the sample images with images of my own, and this isn't really just a gallery. It's actually a complete slideshow. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Click on any of the pictures in this gallery to see a larger view, and it'll be obvious immediately how to start the slideshow. You can also create interactive features like rollovers on the products page, and that's cats on the menu on my test site. It's cats because I was playing around with changing the text on the menu, and I just left it cats. So go to the cats page. It's really the products page. There are three color photographs on that page, or there were when I started. I thought it would be nice to convert them to monochrome and then have them turn color when the user mouses over each one. Twenty minutes later, I had exactly what I wanted. And I have to point out that half that time was spent watching an online video tutorial that explained how to accomplish rollover effects in Zara Web Designer 6. The first website you design will, of course, take longer than other sites, simply because you have to learn how the program works and how to do the things that you want to do with it. But my guess is that anyone who has any experience with a program such as, oh, say, for example, Microsoft Word, probably figure out how to design a simple website, a three- to five-page site, for example, in, oh, maybe half a day. 
After you create the website in Zara, you'll need to export it. This process creates a local full copy of the website on your computer with all of the HTML code, images, cascading style sheet files, and JavaScript needed to run the site. And that's right, all the images will be there. I said earlier that it doesn't matter where those images are on your computer. It doesn't. Zara will gather them all together and drop them into the export file. The final step involves using the built-in FTP application or your own FTP application to upload your site to a web host. And you can take a look at my test site. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Most of the steps involved in the process of creating a website are documented on the Zara website with movies that show step-by-step how the program works. So the bottom line for Zara Web Designer 6, for cats, creating a website doesn't get any easier than this. Although this would not be the right product for use with a site that has hundreds of pages, it is ideal for basic sites. The price is certainly right. Even graphic designers and website developers will find Zara Web Designer 6 to be useful as a layout and templating tool early in the development cycle. For more information, check the Zara Web Designer website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I took a look at some new PC Magazine utilities this week. PC Magazine has always offered utilities. Well, maybe not always. But certainly from the very early days when utilities were presented as programming tutorials in the magazine. Now, for about $20 a year, you can download any of their utilities. And I consider this to be a good deal, even if sometimes two of the three downloads turn out to be turkeys. That's what happened this week. A message from PC Magazine described several utilities that appeared to be worthwhile. I downloaded three. Within an hour, I had discarded two, but the third is a real keeper. PC Magazine says Registry Robot provides a safe interface for working with dozens of registry settings that you cannot change through built-in Windows utilities. If you don't like the result of a tweak, you can easily undo it with the Registry Robot. This latest version, they say, adds a multitude of new tweaks, including tweaks for Windows 7, and it enhances the user interface to make enabling and undoing tweaks easier than ever. Tweaks for Windows 7? I could find virtually no support for Windows 7, and even less for those of us who run a 64-bit version of the operating system. If you run anything but Vista or Windows 7, this might be a useful utility. In fact, I think it probably would. But if you're running Windows 7 or Vista, it's a non-starter. If you install the registry robot, be aware that it will require an additional installation of the 2007 Microsoft Office system driver with data connectivity components. These are components that can be used by non-Microsoft Office applications to read data from and write data to 2007 Office system files such as Microsoft Office Access and Microsoft Office Excel. Connectivity to text files is also supported, and that's what the registry robot needs. So, for me, that one didn't work out. I also tried Clock Rack 2. PC Magazine says, Need to know the time in London, New Delhi, Moscow, or maybe all three? Clock Rack 2 is an update to our classic world clock. In this version, we've added Windows 7 support and enhanced analog and digital clock displays. Clock Rack 2 is, without a doubt, the ugliest and most intrusive clock application I have ever seen. I removed it less than five minutes after installing it. Didn't even take any screenshots of it. If you want an on-screen clock that can display times in two areas, use DS Clock. It's free, and there's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. 
Task Power 4. PC Magazine says this update to our popular utility lets you monitor and control applications, tasks, services, and drivers, and even shut them down when necessary. Some of the additions in version 4 include faster loading time, less CPU and memory usage, faster locked file finding, ability to hide Microsoft programs from the list, enhanced support for 64-bit windows and user access control, ability to set affinity and priority for a process, and user interface changes to make task power easier to use. That's a mouthful, and Task Power 4 delivers in all areas. Applications tab. This is the one that shows which applications are currently running on your computer. You might be surprised just how many of them there are. Select this tab. You'll see all of the applications that are currently running. And if you select one in the lower pane, you'll see more information about that application's provider. And if you want to see more, click the More Information link. Next tab over is for Tasks, and you will probably be surprised at how many tasks are running. This is where you can kill a task if you need to, but beware, if you kill a task that is essential, you may wish you hadn't done that. Usually, if you do, the solution is simply to reboot the computer. Services tab, same warning, and you will probably be surprised how many services are running on the computer. Many of the services handle background tasks that most people don't even know about, much less think about. If you're thinking about shutting down a service, make sure you know why you want to shut down the service. Ever wonder how many drivers are on your computer? You will be aghast at how many there are. The Drivers tab lists all of the drivers currently in use on the computer, and at least in my case, it was a very long list. The tab that most people will use most often is probably the Performance tab. This is where you can see how much of a load each CPU in your system has. You'll also see how well your system's RAM is functioning. If the page file usage is minimal, you have enough RAM in the computer to avoid frequent swapping. There's a networking tab. It shows the amount of traffic that's on your local area network. And there's the Locked Files tab. This is very useful. Have you ever tried to delete or move a file only to be told that it's locked? Processes lock files when they have the files open for editing, but sometimes the locks aren't released when they should be. When Windows shows as locked a file that you know you should be able to delete or move, you can use the Locked Files tab to find the file, determine what application or process has it locked, and, if you consider it safe, break the lock so that you can perform the action you need to perform with the file. The final tab is the Start, Stop, Profiles tab. If you have multiple processes that you need to enable or disable simultaneously, this is the part of the application you need. This is kind of an advanced topic, but here's a scenario under which you might need it. Let's say that you do video editing. and When you do video editing, you want to shut down all non-essential services. You could go through the previous tabs and shut down services, tasks, and processes individually. Or you could set up a profile that shuts them all down at once. When you're finished with the video editing, when you're finished with the video editing, you'd use another profile that you've set up previously that will turn all of those services, tasks, and processes back on. Nice feature. Bottom line for PC Tools Utilities, five cats. All right, one for three isn't very good. But Task Power 4 is a winner. This application alone is worth my $20 annual fee. It is an application that includes an array of tools that nobody should be without. For more information, you can visit the PC Magazine website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Lots in short circuits this week. AT&T uses more plans to serve less. 
If you have an iPhone and you use it a lot each day on the Internet, you're going to be disappointed that the unlimited data plan is gone. And instead of $30 per month, you'll pay $25 a month, but usage is capped at 2 gigabytes per month. Yes, that does come out to 67 megabytes per day, and that might sound like a lot, but it's not if you use the phone for video. Exceed the limit, and you'll pay another $10 per gigabyte. So what about those who have more modest needs? If you're somebody who bought an iPhone because you thought it was a neat phone and didn't plan to use it as your primary Internet connection, you could choose the $15 per month plan. This allows up to 200 megabytes. Consider this, that would be 0.2 gigabytes. If you exceed that limit, you'll pay another $15 for the next 0.2 gigabytes. That would be $5 more than the $25 per month plan, but just 20% of the other plan's data. Somehow, that just doesn't add up right. AT&T will allow users to flip back and forth between plans on a month-to-month basis, so you might use the smaller plan most of the time when you're at home, and then switch to the higher-cost plan if you'll be on a business trip or vacation and using the phone more. AT&T will also send warning messages when you reach 65% usage, 90% usage, and 100% usage. A year ago, Apple said that the iPhone would support Internet tethering. That means using the phone to connect your computer to the Internet. Now AT&T says it plans to offer the service later this year when Apple releases iPhone operating system 4. That's expected to happen before the end of summer. It'll still cost you extra, and you will still be limited to 2 gigabytes per month. If you have an iPad, no choice. It's the $25 a month plan. That could be particularly painful to those who use the iPad as a television. But you can take your iPod to any of 20,000 AT&T Wi-Fi hotspots around the country and use them there for free. Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook when he was 19. He is now all of 26. For the past year or so, Zuckerberg and Facebook have been criticized for their privacy policies. Seven years ago, Facebook didn't have status updates, photo albums, news feeds, or messages. Seven years ago, you could obtain a Facebook account only if you were a college student in the United States. Seven years ago, your information was visible only to people in your networks. In the computer industry, seven years is a long time. And Facebook is nothing like it was when Zuckerberg started it. The latest change in the security model is being rolled out now, and Zuckerberg says that if people like what they've done, they'll stop making changes for a while. Quoting Zuckerberg, If you find these changes helpful, then we plan to keep this privacy framework for a long time. That means you won't need to worry about changes. And he added, Believe me, we're probably happier about this than you are. Facebook's goal with this most recent set of changes was to give users a simpler way to control their information. The previous controls were too complex because there were so many of them. You can see what Facebook has done at www.facebook.com forward slash privacy. And yes, there is a link to there from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Perhaps the most important change is that Facebook will actually honor your requests. If you set up your account so that only your friends can see your comments, Facebook won't toss out that restriction the next time they change the security model. That is something they've done in the past. Facebook's advertisers have had access to your information, too. Now you'll be able to make changes there so that applications and websites can't see this information unless you permit it. The advertisers would be able to see only the information you have made visible to everyone. 
The next thing in political campaigns, running a campaign in the cloud. ElectionMall.com and Microsoft will be working together to provide the technology needed to run political campaigns, both for candidates and issues. They're calling it, of course, Campaign Cloud. And they say it consists of a set of customizable technologies from online collaboration to presence on the web. The initiative was announced Friday at the Personal Democracy Forum Conference 2010 in New York City. Campaign Cloud. Gotta love that name. Campaign Cloud provides a unified environment for campaigns to manage technologies in one place. The goal is to free people from having to deal with technology and allow them to concentrate on their campaign from school board candidacies, a joint news release says, to national, congressional, or presidential campaigns. Ravi Singh, the CEO and founder of ElectionMall.com, says that campaigns should spend more time winning and less time managing multiple technology decisions. Quoting Singh, Our ten years of experience in the space combined with Microsoft's trusted technologies will together empower the everyday candidate and help increase political participation. According to Microsoft Vice President Kurt Colson, the partnership combines Election Mall's expertise with Microsoft's cloud capabilities to offer what he calls long-term scalable tools for greater impact. Additional information about Campaign Cloud is available at the Election Mall website. You'll find a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. As of June 6, you'll be able to walk into a Target store and buy an Amazon Kindle e-reader. Until now, the Kindle has been available only from Amazon's website. It is the site's best-selling hardware. This follows a test at 104 Target stores, and Target has characterized the test as overwhelmingly positive. Price in stores will be the same as online, $259. Barnes & Noble, competitor, will begin offering a $50 gift card with its ebook reader, The Nook. Amazon has essentially owned this market segment from the beginning, despite competition from Sony, and now from Apple's iPad, seen as a competing device. The move to retail is designed to reach people who don't currently use Amazon's online service. <laughs> On Friday, I started receiving greeting cards, several of them per hour, and increased over the day. They were all phony and probably all dangerous. This is a time when it's good to think about a link before clicking it. The messages all followed a common theme. Some email address that I didn't recognize has just sent you an e-card from 123greetings.com. You can view it by clicking here, followed by a URL, http colon slash slash ecard dash greetings dash com dot google groups dot com forward slash web, and then the name of a zip file. You can also copy and paste the above link into your browser's address bar, the message said. Your e-card is going to be with us for the next 30 days. That set off some alarm bells. That just didn't sound like it was written by a native English speaker. We hope you enjoy your e-card. Your friends at 123greetings.com. Each message had been sent by somebody else. In no case did I recognize the sender's address. The fact that the card name was the same in every message wasn't a good sign either. Neither was the link via Google Groups. That wouldn't be where 123greetings would have cards. The claimed domain, 123greetings.com, is legitimate, but greetings are never sent as zip files. Oh, and did I mention that the greeting was supposedly for my birthday, still several months in the future? And that it was sent from Russia? Finally, the problem became so severe that I wrote a filter to delete these messages on site. Fortunately, the criminals who are sending them aren't exactly evil masterminds, so it was easy to write the filter. 
When you receive a link to a zip file, even if it appears to be from somebody you know, check it out before you click the link. It's just safer that way. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.